big church. <clears throat> you can handle it. Ah, that's right, that's right. You can handle it. Um, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful, wonderful morning. Thank you so much, worship, worship team. I, ah, yeah, that was powerful. It was. It was powerful. Very prophetic. Um, it's really calling us to that place of worship, and not just with words, but with our hearts. Um, in our Men Up series this morning, we will look at the book of Judges, and Gideon is the man we are going to study a little bit uh, to see how Gideon, the man of God, how did he do it, you know? How did he achieve the things that he has achieved? And uh, today, we talk about Gideon and his mighty man of valor. And, um, and so, I think it's important for us to understand what did he, who is he, what did he go through, and what was the situation back then, and how can we be challenged to come to that place of also being seen as mighty men in our generation. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we are grateful. We are grateful, Father God, that you have called us in this time. We are here, Father God, for times such as this, for your purposes to be fulfilled in this generation. And Lord, may we hear you and may you speak to us. May you call us, oh God, to rise from those places. May we call us to rise from the ashes, Lord, oh God, to the place where we are predestined for amazing purposes. And Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you will speak to us. And Lord, things will align based upon your purpose. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Amen. Um, a little bit of a historical context. Where is my... There we go. A ah. little bit of a historical context about this specific book and the history that took place back then. Yeah, of course, the title is, The Battle is the Lord's. It's not ours. The battle is the Lord's. It's not our battle. We are co-laborers. We are people that God had chosen, just like he has chosen Gideon for this specific battle. But there are specific things that we need to understand about this, this battle. But um, Israel, by this time, they are in the promised land. Uh, Joshua and Caleb, the faithful one that came all the way from Egypt, by now they have died. It's important that we understand when exactly in history is this taking place. And um, the Israelites are now being led by the people called the Judges. That's why the book is called The Judges, because of the people that was leading the people. Uh, this was the time of people like Samson, Deborah, Gideon. These are the people that were leading the people of God at the time. But they were not all leading at the same time. Um, they were not all leading at the same time. It was after this leader is gone. Um, they call it the crazy cycle or the, the cycle of sin in Judges, where the people are serving God faithfully, and Joshua goes. After some time, they fall into sin and idolatry, and then 
Israel is enslaved. And when Israel is enslaved, it was as a means of God's punishment, God's judgment upon the people. And then when they realize what's happening, they cry out to the Lord. And then after they cry out to the Lord, God raises up a judge. And so they are delivered and so on and so on and so on. So the circle will be going on like that. So if you read, if you open the book of, of if you open the book of Judges chapter one, you will see mainly when the new judge is introduced, it will be something like this. The Israelite did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. So when every new judge is introduced, it will be something like that. It will be something like that. So I want to go back to Isaiah 55. This, this is one of my favorite, favorite chapters as well in the book of Isaiah. I, I just love where it places me in the relation to God. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my, my, my ways, declares the Lord. As heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And your thoughts, I mean my thoughts, higher than your thoughts. And this is, this is the words that I think will bring us into the first principle of what we are going to look at as far as this specific man is concerned. The first principle is, God's ways are not our ways. They are not the same as our ways. That's what we see there. God's ways are not our ways. The story of, of Gideon, we find it in the, the whole, from chapter 6 all the way to chapter 8. That's, that was the lifetime of Gideon, just in case you're wondering. Now, in the story of Gideon, Israel has a problem. And the problem is the Midianites. The Midianites are people who are known to be nomads. They were moving from place to place. They never really settled. I think the name Katutura will be a very good name applicable to them. When are we going to settle? They, they had an issue with, you know, permanent dwellings. They would move from place to place. They lived in tents, and uh, they lived off the land. Whatever the land has provided, that was their means of living. And, um, and so they come around during this specific season. They come around to the Israelites. On the other side, on the, other side the Israelites are people who enjoy the land that God has given them. They enjoy their permanent uh, you know, uh, houses and everything, and they have placed themselves well in this land because God has given them this land. And, um, and so when they came out of Egypt, they started planting vineyards and crops and everything else. And they had animals, you know, the sheep, the cows, the everything. These were very rich, rich people. And so here comes the Midianites, the people who are hungry. They moved from where they were because there was nothing. And here they come and they find amazing, amazing harvest. And so what did they do? They started harvesting. 
And they started slaughtering. And they started eating well. But who was doing the hard work? The Israelites. Now friends, as we read there in chapter 1 in verse 1, I mean chapter 6 verse 1, it says this has gone on for seven years. For seven years, there was, they were living under this oppression of the Midianites. I don't know about you, but uh, recently I heard about the financial situation in our country. And it's not fun. It's not fun. I walked at the medical aid, I mean, the, what is that, the doctors, and with my faithful SEMAS medical aid, uh, I come there and I had a situation with my boy that specific morning and you know, if it was me, it's, not, it's fine. I would have, you know, man it up a bit or something. <laughs> but my son, you know, and he's a poor person, doesn't really understand what's going on. And here I am, I gave them my cards and everything, and they say, Sir, you have to put some, or you have to pay everything up front as from now on. I said, excuse me, check, check my name, it's there on your system. <laughs> I'm not... <laughs> I'm not a new customer, <laughs> you know. And it's so interesting that if I compare the last time I was there and that time, these were people that really did not know who I was. I was like, yo, so this thing of finances and the government is real. And the reason they gave me was just because the government is not paying us. All the claims are just there's no money. I said, can I, can I please talk to, to doctor? Can I? Because I did not really want to. I thought maybe when I look at him, <laughs> he will say, oh, you are the pastor. Because he usually calls me the pastor. So says, oh, you are the pastor. So of course, come. We can just do something to your son. But no, 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 no. This was real. Now take yourself back to the Israelite situation. It wasn't just a medical condition. It was food condition. For not only once, for seven years. Now I don't know. Namibian situation is how long? Few months? Yeah, just, just this year. About, about six months. Talking about seven years. So these guys had a serious problem. They had a serious problem. They had a serious problem. And not only was that the problem, the Midianites themselves were also huge people. Huge in size, <laughs> huge in number. We are talking about Gideon having an army of about 30,000 men against 135,000 Midianites. It's a serious problem. What do you do? Do you just coward it away? Do you, you know? It's okay. If the wife is asking, no, it's fine, love. It's not that bad. <laughs> no, go talk. Go. You know, ladies are very good at that. When you are, want to put your head up on the pillow, 
really? Should I? Should I go do something against 135,000 people? Man. <laughs> so, and here we are. We are being told that God's ways is not our ways. And guess what happens? The Israelite cries out to God and God raises up a judge. And the judge is Gideon. The judge is Gideon. Hmm. Now, if you look at Gideon, Gideon is from the tribe of Manasseh, which is the least among the people. And he is the last born <laughs> among them. So, physically, there is nothing in Gideon that is really sort of encouraging him to lead anybody. Imagine you have about 12 tribes. Huh? And your tribe is like the least. It's like, I don't know. <laughs> I, <laughs> I didn't want to say that, but she said it. She, she said the Ganjeras. So, so, and then in the Ganjeras, in your family bloodlines, you are the last. Boy. The courage that you need to gather to be able to rise up, you have to, you have to really face so many things. Even within, people will be asking, so who is talking? It's Gideon. <laughs> who, is, who is Gideon? No, he's from the Manasseh tribe. <laughs> so what, 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 what gives them the right to come and lead the people of Israel? Friends, this situation is serious. The situation is serious. So finally, after seven years, they cried out to God for help. And Gideon was made the man that God has called to lead the people of Israel against the Midianites and to overthrow the oppression of the Midianites and gain their freedom. But now, before Gideon had to call his men. He looked at the reality of the situation. He counted his men, he, you know, and he realizes, okay, we are talking about 135,000, talking about 30,000 men. So he brings these men before the Lord. And this is what God says in Judges 7, verse 2. You have too many men for me to deliver the Midianites into your hands. God, are you not counting? God, what are you, what are you doing here? He says, okay, okay. So what do you want me to do? No, look at those ones who are trembling, who are fearing, who are shaking, you know. Tell them, tell them to go home. And so, okay, he looks at the situation and he speaks to them and 
If I was Gideon, I would think maybe five or so. But we're talking about 22,000 men went home. Huh? Ah, no. Are you sure you have called me to do this? Because really, what am I doing? What am I doing? Because here now he's sitting with 9,700 men. 9,700 men. And what does God say to him? There are still too many. But, but how? <laughs> but why? <laughs> but why? Why are you reducing everything? There are still too many. And he tells them, okay, take them all to the water. Just a little bit of a summary because, I mean, three chapters is quite too long for us to, to digest in 45 minutes. Takes them all to the water. And then there, he, <laughs> God, he says to separate those who left the water with their tongues as dogs and then those who kneel down to drink. And about 900, 700 men went back home. And he's sitting there with 300 men. He's sitting with 300 men. He's now wondering what is going on. How can 300 men face 135 men? I mean 1,000 men. How can that be possible? But remember, God's ways are not always our ways. And so, in the middle of the night, God speaks to Gideon and he says, Pick one of your men, go to the camp, and listen to your enemy, what's going on there. And then as he comes closer, he realizes that the guys are talking about them. There's a huge gossip going on about the enemy's camp. And what they are talking about is, this guy had a dream. And in the dream, the Midianites have lost the war. They are all killed by the men of Gideon. And all of a sudden, this dream, sometimes you need to be careful what you are confessing. Because this specific dream brings so much fear in the people that the people started shaking in the camp. And it was at that moment that God said, listen, go get your men. Go get those 300 men. And put your flashlights on and march into your enemy's camp because I've given them into your hands. And he does not hesitate. He does not hesitate. He quickly goes, gather them, and it was at that very specific time that the fear that the Midianites had, they turned against each other and they started slaughtering one another. Thinking that they are fighting the enemy. Confusion in the camp. Confusion in the camp. What happens to Gideon and his 300 men? They win the battle. God's ways are not always our ways. Now, how logical is that strategy? 
It doesn't seem logical to me at all. If I was Gideon, I was going to request one simple thing to God. Before the battle. That God, all I need is just more men. Please don't take them away. Don't take them away. Give me more men. It makes sense that way. But Gideon had to trust in God. Gideon had to trust in God's ways. Gideon realized that his ways are lower than God's ways. But God's ways are higher than his. So he had to let go of how he was thinking and allow God to do the work. Now, in my house, there's always this thing about my wife when she's doing something and I don't understand what she's doing. So when I ask, she always says, there's a, a logic behind my madness. I was like, what? the first time I heard that, I was like, so you call it madness, and I should trust the logic. But then when she explains to me what she's thinking, then I have a better perspective. Now, in this particular instance, God, which is not something that he usually does, it's not all the time that God explains himself to people why he's doing what he's doing. But in this specific occasion, he explains himself to Gideon. He says, he says this to Gideon. In, in, in that uh, same verse, the following, he says that, um, you have too many men, I cannot deliver Midianites into your hands, or Israel would boast against me and say my own strength had saved me. If I could use my wife's words, there is logic behind God's madness. <laughs> Friends, God never shares his glory with anybody. God never shares his glory with anybody. If you think that you want to be on the team of God, you have to know that it's his ways no ways. Men with our ego. We want to be seen. We want to be recognized. We want to be acknowledged. We want to be spoken about. You can see it all over in the rugby. You can see it everywhere in soccer. You can see it all over Ronaldo. It's there. It's all over. It's there. You can see it. It's in us. Let me tell you another thing. It's sin in us. It's pride. And he says, if you boast, if you are prideful, he would disgrace you. But if you humble yourself, like Gideon did, he will lift you up. With 300 men, they managed to conquer the battle against the Midianites. 
How they did it, they have no idea. But they know that the battle is not theirs, but is God's. If we understand that, that we are here in the first place because God, we will not have a problem. We will not have a problem. That's the first principle. Principle number one is God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are better. Remember, God sees the end from the beginning. He knows what he is doing. Even in his ways, even if his ways are not the same as ours, even if we think that this is completely a bad idea, trust in God's ways. Trust in God's ways. Daniel chapter 11, verse 32 says, With flattery, he will corrupt those who have, violent, who have violated the covenant. But the people who know their God will do great exploits. That word know, it's a, place that, it's a word that takes us to a place of trust and complete confidence in God. Trust and complete confidence in God. A man like Daniel, to be thrown into the dens of lions, to be thrown into the furnace, and to say, even if he does not rescue me, I will not bow down to you. Complete trust. Complete trust and confidence in God. That takes us to the second principle. The second principle is God responds to desperate people. God responds to desperate people. To see this principle, we must back at the beginning of Gideon's story. In chapter 1. There we see that the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them to the hands of the Midianites. For seven years. Friends, why did it take so long for the Israelites to cry out to the Lord? Why did it take so long for them to cry out to the Lord? Why did it take seven years? But however long it took, the moment when they started crying out, that's when he sent a judge. That's when he sent them their deliverer. God responds to desperate people. God responds to when his people are crying out to him. We see that all over in the history of the Israelites. Even when the Israelites were in Egypt, we see the situation where God, God had to first hear the cry of the people in slavery. And so it says, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And they cry out for help because of their slavery. And that help actually went up, went up to God. When they cried. It was after 400 years. A good 400 years. Couldn't God do it earlier? Couldn't they cry earlier? But the point is. He responds. To desperate people. 
Um, the principle, what we can see, um, which I said already, and I also want to say that remember the familiar scripture of revival um, in the book of Chronicles uh, 7, verse, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. It says, if my people will humble themselves and seek my face and turn away from their wicked ways, then, <laughs> listen to the word, then I will hear from heaven and will come down and heal their land. It's a very, very clear indication of God responding to the desperate cry of his people. Um, the promise of revival isn't promised to those who didn't ask. The promise for revival is given to those who are desperate for revival. And they will cry out and they will repent and they will humble themselves and seek God's help. Desperate people receives God's help. All through the book of Judges, we see the same principle over and over and over again. And uh, this is the reality of the situation. Personally, I think there are several things in our society that are supposed to make us desperate. There are specific things. The state of family is supposed to make us desperate. There are men and women who are living together today and they don't see the need to get married. They are cohabiting and they are fine. They call each other couples. Such things, friends, should make us desperate to cry out to God. Why? Because it's dropping the moral standards of society. Our daughter, beautiful daughters that are becoming men and our sons that are becoming women. This is serious. It is killing the parents. Remember raising up a child and thinking that this will be my strength. That couple of years down the line, after you have given them the keys of freedom, and that's what they do with their freedom. They want to change themselves into becoming women. Now, if we don't speak these things at the pulpit, I don't know where else can we speak them. If we are not desperate to cry out to God and say, God, help us. I don't know what would make us desperate. Fatherlessness. By the way, the issue of fatherlessness is not just in America. Those statistics are in America. I don't know what will be the statistics in Namibia. It will be worse than that, I'm sure. Child abuse. Look at what happened in 2009. This was in the Namibian newspaper on that date there. The 2nd of October, 2009. At least 200 children from newborns to teenagers of 16 years have been murdered, raped, assaulted in Namibia so far that year. 
that year, that specific year. And this was the recorded data. Let's talk about the data that was not recorded. You would think a couple of years down the line, maybe the situation would be different. Listen to what General, uh, the Prosecutor General Martha Imala says. She says it, she's shocked by the latest statistics in child abuse, which revealed 814 Namibian children that have been abused. And that was in 2014. From 200 children to 840. The question is, what gives that permission for the number to increase? That was 2014. What will be the statistics today? Friends, if these things are not making us desperate, what would make us desperate? Where are the men in our society? To protect, to guard, to nurture, to provide uh, security for these kind of things. Because these are not just numbers. These are people who are based in families. And you, you are where? Where are you? When these things are happening. We must be desperate. We must come to that place of really being desperate. I think times of playing church is gone. Because the devil is serious. The devil is very serious. If we need to come against this oppression, we need men that will rise up it doesn't matter where they come from. That will rise up and say, here I am, Lord. Send me. Here I am, Lord. Use me. To bring the change. We are in between. I know that Namibia is changing a lot. From extended family setup to nuclear family setup. But we have not completely moved away. We are in between. And a lot of things are happening in between. I'm raised in extended family. I know how extended family functions and operates. I know the good things about extended family. And I know about the bad things about extended family. But there was a time when I decided in my heart that maybe I must move over to me, my wife, and kids. Because there were things that was happening there that I did not like. Because everyone on their own, you don't even know, you don't have even someone asking you a personal question of how you do it. Everything is in general. You are a child, you are seen, and you are not heard. These are some of the things. But there are good things about extended family. The protection that was there, the community, the what what, people were looking after each other. Wealth wise. 
But there were also those people that were riding on other people's um, efforts and they were not doing anything. These things as Namibians, we must define them and be able to come up with concrete answers to say, how are we going to do this? We mustn't just move because a lot of things could be damaged. You need to be able to think up around that African system and say, so are we Africans or we are not Africans? If we are Africans, let's remain Africans. If we are not Africans, let's become whatever that is. But people must not be neglected. Whatever we do, people must not be neglected. And God looks after the orphans and the vulnerable. There is a reason why the scripture over and over again keeps telling us that we must look after the orphans and the vulnerable, the widows, all these people. Because chances of them being neglected are very, very high. Friends, let's man up. Let's man up. Let's man up. I've decided to go back. I've seen that the Lord is faithful and he has blessed me with a wonderful family. But I've decided to go back. I've decided to go back because I'm convinced that I cannot just look at my own people and being neglected like that. I will do a few things that will create a system that those who are falling short, that there will be a net to catch them. I've decided to do farming on those very reasons. That there must be enough produce in the land to look after the people. Now, I'm not even just only talking about my family members. I travel on farms. I travel in this Namibia. I look at situations. Kids who are born on the farm, grew up on the farm, and they don't know anything about education. Their father was working for Menier, and then their father died. They took over their father's role, and so it goes for generations after generations. And all they know is farm work. Are we saying, is that what God has predestined for them? We must come up with ways how we can help people. But those things will not come until we cry out to God. Because remember, the battle is not ours, but God's. The battle is not ours, but God's. Third principle, the battle against oppression must begin among God's people. 
The battle against oppression must begin in God's people. Gideon's first assignment was not to raise an army to go into battle against the Midianites. The people of Israel thought the Midianites were the problems. But they were not the problem. Remember, it was because of their turning away from God that God sent the Midianites as an oppression, as a judgment upon them. So if we, if we hear God correct, he will be able to show us exactly where the real problem is. It's not pointing fingers at one another. It's not those people against those people. The corruption in the land, the corruption among our leaders, those are few signs to tell us that there is a problem. That is not the problem. So coming up with anti-corruption commission will not solve the problem. It will not solve the problem. Having whistleblowers all over the place will not solve the problem because those whistles will blow until they blow. Until they blow up. Because the problem is in the human heart. That's where the battle needs to start. The main problem was that the Israelite has turned its back on God. The Midianites were God's tool to bring the Israelites back to their senses, to bring the Israelites back to God. It was a tool that God used. And so, when something that is so dear to us is touched, that's when we really go, but God, but God, where are you? But God, why? And God does this all the time. Accidents on our roads. I, I, I really have a firm belief that people are dying before they are supposed to die. Like really. If in my heart I know that this is a solid line, and I have no visibility on the oncoming traffic. Why do I go on the other line? Why? Is accidents the problem? No. If we do that, we are missing the point. God is trying to bring us to the attention of something bigger and greater than that. Gideon had to start among his own people. In fact, that is also too broad. Gideon started in his own home. Gideon went to his own heart. First he offered a sacrifice to God. Sacrifice of worship, bringing his own heart to God. If it doesn't start in our own hearts, we are not really dealing with the real issue. We are just pointing fingers. And Jesus says, 
is also a log in your own eye. Don't point to somebody else's. After he did that worship, he went to his father and he had to pull down the idols. He had to pull down the Asherah poles. He had to tell his father, listen, for a very long time, your ideas, your false ideas of worship has been tormenting my head and enough is enough. He had to cut the, the tie. He had to cut that. And that is where we need to begin. We have a lot of men who are not affirmed by their fathers. We have a lot of men who are walking around and some of, the, some of us, we are so timid, we are so fearful of speaking against our fathers. Speaking against the wrong things that our parents are doing. We have a lot of people who knows what is right and, and behind the, their parents' back, they talk, they talk, but then when they come, they behave as if things are supposed to move on. With such, we're not going to move ahead. Because fear of men is greater than the fear of God. And that is not going to change anything. We need men that will stand up. Men that will say, listen, this is what I believe to be right. Now you are either coming with or let God judge you on your own individuality. But as for me, and my house, we will serve the Lord. Without compromise, there will be persecution, there will be all kinds of things because our own sons and daughters are coming from the north and they are being told about the Oshiveva church as they enter into universities. It's like, be careful. Be careful. There is Oshiveva churches that side. You must not affiliate yourself with those people. Already, that set the tone. That remain in the ways of how things have been. Even if you feel like you are a sinner and you need to give your heart to Jesus, you can't do that because you feel like you come from some affiliation of some sort. And you are betraying somebody if you give your heart to Jesus, which is the very thing that you're supposed to. We cannot, we cannot, we must stand up, we must stand up and stand for what we believe. Let the truth of God guide us, let the truth of God's word lead us against these battles. If we want to see the change taking place in the world, the place to start is not raising up an army in the battle against the world. The place to start is in the church. It's among God's people who tend to their beg away from God. But even the church is too broad a place to start. Gideon did not start by preaching to God's people. He started in his own house. He started in his, in his own family. I can even take a step back and say, it all started in Gideon's heart. It needs to start there. It needs to start in our hearts.
Do you think we are being oppressed? Because I do. Oppression did not just end with apartheid. We are being oppressed. We are being oppressed. So we must cry out if we are being oppressed. We must cry out for God's deliverance and let the work begin in our families. Let the work begin in our own lives. We must recommit ourselves to our marriages, especially those who are married. It's not your wife. You also have a part to play. That part which you need to play in marriage, do it. If there are things that you have done that you know, go find help. Don't just sit there and feel bad about it. Go find help. I was shouting at my wife every time because I felt like she was the person that should always understand me. And so when I go there out in the world, I was this sweet, amazing person. But when I come home, I will shout and shout and shout at her. And then God had to speak into my own heart and say, you know, Ephraim, this thing had to stop. You must stop this thing. How long are you going to keep shouting and shouting? But I said, no, but God, I thought this was a place where I can be myself. I take so much problems of the world and I come and dump them at home because I'm being myself. It's like, no, you got it wrong. Why should they get the garbage? And then I decided that this thing was deeper than I thought. I went to Philippi Trust and every week I would go there. And that became my garbage where I was dumping stuff. You must find a strategy. Because now, these people are, are, are educated to process your stuff. Recycle the things that you're giving them. So they are not really getting the way you would, you know, dump it at home. They would ask you specific questions. How does that make you feel? <laughs> and they say, oh, I need to go into my feeling bucket. <sighs> Thought I was a man and men had no feelings. And as they were asking those questions, they were making me soft. And my ass started to sweat. The questions we're asking were so strategic that sometimes it would be questions like, let's talk about your father. Oh boy. <laughs> and boy, I started wailing. And they'll be like, it's okay, it's okay. I'll be like, and later when I come out there, my wife's received an amazing husband. And now I can even process things much better. Because it's not just the pressure coming from the bottom. No. 
Everything is now into its own place. In my family, we, we never had meetings. My father never, never. He was always meeting us when something is wrong. You can ask Unjaku, she will tell you. She was our neighbor. She will see things from a different way. <clears throat> we never had meetings. So we would always be told, this is this, that's that. I will see you when something is wrong. If nothing is wrong, then I'm in the background. So this, this became such a norm that we were so scared of my dad. My dad used to drive those old police cars with those big canopies that you lock the prisoners in there. Now, the place where we were staying, if you have been to Okakarara in, in Opamwe, there's like a grid when, you, when the cars are driving in. Now, that car will make such a noise. Wherever we are in the community, we will have to run. So when you are playing, you play in such a way that you can hear that car from there. <laughs> and you need to understand, this man is a police officer. He started his work in 1981. From the time of the apartheid. So he is like a... You know, a police officer. I don't know about these police officers who are drinking in their civilian clothes. He was real. He would take it from there, from near Malan, and bring it straight at home. And he gives it to us. We take it to the dog, the dogs take it to the cat, the cats run out. That's how real it was in our house. So there was no questioning authority, nothing. So you need to understand the stuff that I had. And then, here I am in my dreaming world and singing, thinking, yo, I can't wait to grow up to have my own house so that I can become the man. And I get married to a Cuban woman who does not understand where I'm coming from fully. And she's asking me questions. And I'm like, what kind of a woman asks men questions? <laughs> You're supposed to get it, and that's it. This is what I know what to understand. Shush. Now, this thing, it makes us men to be limited in our comprehension. It makes us men not to reason. We don't know how to reason. When we are frustrated, we beat. It's like, why are you asking me so much? <laughs> she see the person is approaching you. It's like, what's going on now? I thought I was just asking you a general question. So we don't know how to reason. And then women get educated. Us men, we don't really get educated that much if you look at the statistics. And so they have learned how to analyze and, and, and critically thinking. And, and then they come to us and we were not in the same class. It's like, uh, what do you think? <laughs> what do you want me to do? Do you want me to solve a problem? You know? This 
kind of things. Now we are being asked to men up. We are being asked to men up. We must step up to the party. And the only way how that can happen is for us looking into our own hearts. What is in your heart? Where are you at? What's going on? What are the things that makes you tick? This is more than just saying I like this and I don't like this. It's more. It's more than that. It's deeper stuff. Things that will make us companions with our wives. Mm. <laughs> Becoming a companion. You know, being a companion, you need to be able to reason, talk, process, analyze, critical think about things. Emotional intelligence. Be able to be able to cry with a hanky. <laughs> ah. Ah. These are serious battles that we cannot handle. When she starts crying, I'm like, oh boy, I'm failing. No, keep talking. It's therapeutic. Keep talking. Because now, I hope it has stopped. I hope uh, if my wife, if you can ask her if, she, if this has stopped. If she starts crying, I was like, I was getting angry. Because I don't know what to do. Where I come from, when people cry, it's like, Mashongo. Mashe. She's crying. Hey. So you have done something wrong. So just stop the conversation so that the strike, the crying stops. But now it's like, no. Crying and talking is part of the whole thing. Oh, really? Okay. Okay. We'll do better next time. Do better next time. Friends. Principle number four. Almost done. Almost done. It's God's call that matter and not human strength. For us as men, we need to understand this because we are physically strong. Nowadays, we don't even know what to do with our strength that we hit the gym. And we pick up the heaviest of things <clears throat> every day. Some of us are walking like this. <laughs> because our muscles are really, you know, I need to pick up something here. You know, it's quite real. And so we rely so much on our strength that we don't know what to do when we hit our 60s. When we hit our 70s, we don't know what to do. When you want to pick up something, oh! oh. And then when you come home, 
husband, what did you do? <laughs> ah, it's just my bag. Are you still trying to pick up any woman? I did not pick up anything. It's a serious battle. Understanding that it's God's call, not human strength. <clears throat> it's God's call. When we see in the story <clears throat> is that Gideon is not a great leader, as I said. He did not have the innate inborn qualities. He was not even physically strong. The statues of his family was the least to look at. Gideon's greatness in his leadership was purely in one fact. God called him. It was the call of God. So if God is with you, you don't have to be stronger than you are. In order to accomplish what God wants you to do, you must just respond to the call of God. In, in chapter 6, verse 14, God said to Gideon when he says, but I, I don't know why, you know, how will I be able to lead these people? God said, go in the strength that you have. Gideon knew that there was nothing impressive about himself. There was nothing impressive about his family from which he came from. Verse 15 says, but now, but how can I save Israel, he asked. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. God's response is, I will be with you. Friends, the feelings of in inadequacy is serious. It is real. When a man cannot do something, he feels like a failure. But we need to come to that place where we say, it's God's, not us. It's God's strength, not my strength. It's God's call, not my own call. It was Gideon's strength. It was God's, God's strength that mattered, not Christian, not Gideon's strength. It was God's call. It was God's presence. It was God's strength that mattered. When God sent us to do something, we must trust him. God was a memorable man. I mean, Gideon was a memorable man because God called him. And so, the challenge for us, as I said, is remembering those four principles. That it is not our ways, but God's ways. It's not our ways, but God's ways. And it's, we need to cry out from a place of being desperate. It's God's response to desperate people. And the third one is, the battle against oppression begins among God's people. And then the fourth principle is God's call that matters, not our strength. May we please stand as we pray. Yes. <clears throat> now I want to...
call us all men in this place. That tonight we are having a prayer cave. We are, having a, we are moving into our cave and we are going to pray. And I want to invite you. Please come. Come as we are tackling some of these issues. Managing your God-given sex drive. How to manage those God-given sex drives. Making your money your servant, not the other way around. These are the issues that we are going to talk as we pray. And some of the other issues that we have discussed. Things that we need to take the responsibility that God has given us as men. Those issues, we'll be discussing them there. We'll be praying about this specific issue. I want to invite you. And please, don't just come yourself. Invite your friend. Invite your neighbor. Invite your family member. And may we all come. And may we gather. It's going to be here at the showgrounds. The time is from 5 to 7. It's going to be two powerful times where we will be desperate before the Lord. Where we will come and repent. Where we will come and really hear God speaks to us. Father, we... <clears throat> We thank you. <clears throat> we thank you to, for this for this wonderful wonderful message. Thank you, Father God, for helping us understand your heart and understanding your battle. Lord, we need to create your dwelling. We are your people. You have called us. We are a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God. And Lord, we pray, Father God, that as men, we will rise up and that we will take our place in society, that we will take our place in our homes, that we will take our place in our families. Lord, I pray that you will speak to us I pray that you will speak to each and every one of us. That we will see the need from where we are at. In our own hearts. Lord, that we will see the problem there. Rather than trying to solve the world's problem. Help us, Lord. To trust you. To be men that will rely on you. To be men that will be humble enough. To hear you speak to us. Whether it is through your audible voice, whether it is through your scriptures, whether it is through our people that we are living with, that we will humble ourselves to hear and even to hear from our wives when you speak through them, which you often do. Lord, I pray that we will not be found on the other side of the fence where we are rebelling, where we are being proud, where we are hardening our hearts, where we are turning our backs away from you. Because we know that you are faithful and you will appear faithful the day of judgment. You will not appear as unjust when you judge. 
you will help us. Help us, Lord. And bring us to repentance. I want to specifically pray for specific men. I feel like the Lord is just saying that you have been thinking but in your process you have been thinking too long that it is looking like you are compromising with the ways that is not pleasing the Lord. The Lord is saying that you have been compromising in your walk with him. You have been compromising with the truth. And the Lord is calling you now to come back to that place where you will cut the ties with idols, where you will cut the ties with things that is not the truth. And I just want you to come right here in front. We will, we will pray with you. I want you to come right here in front. We will pray with you. Just come in front. We will pray with you. The Lord is just saying that now is the time. Don't let this time pass you by. Now is the time. Now is the time to be ministered to. Just come. You don't have to think about how embarrassing this is going to look. Just trust God by faith. Just trust God and keep coming. Keep coming. Because it has to be from that place of repentance. <clears throat> it has to be from a place of repentance. A place of realizing that I was out of line. Lord, continue to minister to us. Continue to minister to us right now. The presence of the Lord is here. Just keep coming. Just keep coming. Keep coming. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you know your sons. You know where they are at. Lord, I just want to pray right now as they have stepped out right here in faith. Lord, I pray that you will see that. That you will see that that place of depending on you, place of relying on you, Lord God, you will speak to them. Touch them right now, Father God. Lord, I pray for healing in their hearts, Lord. Healing, healing, healing. 
to take place right now in the name of our Lord Jesus. And Lord, I hear you say enough is enough that you will take over. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood of the Lamb that has brought us into the new covenant with you. Thank you, Lord, O oh God, that the law is not written on stones, but is now written on hearts, that the truth of God's word will lead us into a place of faithfulness, a place of walking in righteousness, not by our own strength, but in yours. Father, we give you praise. We give you glory. And Lord, I want to pray specifically for those that don't have a relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you will touch them and that they will not rest until they come to repentance. Thank you, Father. You are faithful to begin. You are faithful to continue. And you are faithful to complete your work. And we will trust in you. Just like Gideon did. In Jesus' name. And Lord, bless us. Bless our Sunday. Continue speaking. Amen.